Welcome to Bible Study. It's very good to be with you again. This is Nick Rita, your host, and I'm happy to welcome you to this uh, program. Amazing topic again today, and uh, stay with us. We are going to learn uh, interesting things, how to worship our Lord Jesus Christ and God. Today I would like to just uh, welcome uh, our panel here again, and I will start uh, with Brenton on that side. Brenton, thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure, Nick. Helen, thank you. Thank you. I feel it's a blessing to be here. Thank you. Elijah, welcome to the program also. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Len is our facilitator for today, and uh, we get used to Len's uh, uh, type of um, organizing these uh, studies. And thank you, Len, for uh, putting time and efforts in, uh, in preparing this, and um, I will just hand it right to you. Very welcome. And hello, listeners. It's great to be with you today. This is Bible study number 11 on the series Oneness in Christ. And today we are talking about unity in worship. In last week's study, we considered various biblical examples of broken relationships involving some key individuals in the early Christian church and how the relationships were restored and unity was re-established in place of discord. One of the key factors in making restitution is forgiveness, where the victim forgives the perpetrator. In one case, a third party pleaded with the victim to forgive by appealing to his Christian principles. Being a peacemaker is a noble work, although unless at least one party is willing to forgive, peace may not be possible. We also highlighted that in many cases it may be possible to forgive, but not possible to forget. This week we continue in the theme of oneness by examining the subject of unity in worship. And before we start, Brenton, would you like to pray for us and also to pray for the listeners? Father in heaven, we come before you in prayer. We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can talk to you in prayer and acknowledge you as our creator, our redeemer, and the one who loves us with an everlasting love. We pray for our listeners, Lord, today, and we pray for ourselves as as Len leads us in the study of your word today. May we see the God of the universe, one who is awesome, one who, who alone is due of our worship, our praise and our adoration, but one also who loves us intimately. May that come through in our discussion time today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in view of the fact that we are studying the subject of unity and worship, Helen, what is worship? Well, there are various forms of worship, but basically reverence, praise, adoration, honouring. But from a Christian viewpoint, could I just share with you a text in Psalm 29 too? Because I feel that David gives us some insight as to what the deep meaning of worship is. And he says, Give unto the Lord glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in beauty of holiness. And therefore, it's glory and honour that he deserves. Okay. Now, Lydia... What direction does worship take? Does it go up, down, or sideways? Worship, it's a, it's a key issue 
in the end times that we live now because uh, we need to be very careful about the identification of the object of our worship. So God should be the only object of our worship and our worship should reflect our uh, allegiance to him. God is the creator and he is worthy of worship, only him. All right. Thank you. So really what you're saying is that worship needs to go up, up to God. Yes. And um, for example, this might sound a bit ridiculous, but could you worship your canary? I mean, you can if you really want to do that. But uh, you can worship anything on this earth or in heavens if you want to do that. But the question is, uh, what's the motivation of worshipping that thing or the object or uh, a being or an animal? Because worship is only designed to be to our Creator God. Yes, God pointed out to the Israelite people, look, you cut a tree down and um, part of it you cut up and use as firewood. The other part you carve and you worship it. Mm. And he's pointing out, isn't that ridiculous? Brenton, what are the reasons for worshipping the Lord? According to Revelation 4 verses 8 to 11, uh, I'll read it. The four living creatures, each having its wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they did not cease or rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come then down in verse 7 uh, verse 11 rather it says you are worthy O Lord to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created we have an interesting um, conundrum here the conundrum is this God asks us to worship him as the creator I find it difficult to see any other Um, means by which we can acceptably worship God if we first of all do not recognize his creatorship when you study the Ten Commandments for instance you find the very first verse in Exodus chapter 20 says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of bondage you shall have no other gods before me we worship him because he's the creator we had nothing to do with it and he alone is worthy of worship because he was the one who created us. We had no part in that. The Israelites had no part in coming out of the land of Egypt. It was all done by God. It was done by his power, and he immediately reminded them of the fact, basically, that they would not be where they were now had he not brought them out of the land of Egypt. So we worship God as the creator because he is the one alone who made us and who knows us intimately. And because he knows us intimately, I believe we have a responsibility then to to give him the praise and honour that's due to him because of that. I think it should be added to that too. When we worship, we worship a being who is so much higher and greater and more powerful than we are ourselves. For example, if we as human beings could create then we wouldn't need to worship God. But because we can't create life, therefore it's an indication that God is higher than us. Therefore, worshipping him, we recognise him as such and we reach out to him. Helen, 
In Revelation chapter 5 and verses 9 and 12 is part of a scene in heaven where angelic hosts are worshipping Jesus, the Lamb. Would you mind reading Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 12? And I'll ask you a question about that afterwards. Yes, I'd love to. And it would be great if we could actually see this in our own mind because it's really quite awesome. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us by God, by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And verse 12 says, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom. And just before you ask the question then, just if we notice the words there, why are they doing this? Because he was slain. Jesus was slain on the cross. Jesus has redeemed us to God by his blood. And they are saying these things, you know, in their song. It's just a beautiful song. Mm. So what was that word? Uh, the word that encompasses all that is worthy. Worthy. Worthy, yes. Now, I know Helen's partly um, answered this one, Brenton, but you might have something to add. The question is, why was or why is Jesus worthy? Helen has uh, certainly touched on a particular aspect of it. If we look at these two verses again, verse 9 and verse 12, it gives the reason as to why he is worthy, because he was slain. I think it's fair to say that these 24 elders are people who have been redeemed from the earth. That is why they are reflecting on the fact that they have been redeemed out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What is important, I believe, Len, in addition to what Helen has said is this. There is a recognition that here the God of the universe, the creator, Jesus as the creator of all things, would so condescend as to die for sinful human beings now it's not only a recognition of the act of redemption it's a recognition of how far the God of the universe had to descend in order to carry out this process yes well here's a personal oh Nick you want to say something first Um, I just want to add um, a few things because we're talking about uh, who to worship and uh, uh, earlier was um, that uh, question, I mean, if we can worship anything else, like uh, you mentioned the canary, um, it's it's sad when you see people worshipping things, even though uh, we may, you know, we said that we worship somebody who's a creator, you know, our God who's the creator. When we create something, and you you point out, Len, about that, uh, we take a piece of wood and you make an idol and we worship it because we create that idol but what's that idol uh, doing to us you know i mean god is doing something for us he created or he redeemed us through jesus christ you know and that's why we worship jesus christ as a redeemer but the misunderstanding is that sometimes people are worshiping objects because they think those objects do something to them for example icons and other things i'm coming from a orthodox background and I know how strong it is to worship an icon because that icon it's a, may do some miraculous things to you. Mm. Now, is that the icon doing that thing? Or is that... Uh, what, what's happening there? Because we'll come later on to touch on the subject of false worshipping. 
and probably we can talk a little bit more about that, but just I want to say that uh, we need to really have the clear picture in our mind who God is and what God wants from us in terms of worshipping Him. Well said. Helen, this is a personal question, and everybody can say what you think about this. Why do you worship the Lord? Oh, Len, have you got an hour or two to spare? (laughs) Why do I worship the Lord? Well, let me take it back to before I worshipped him. I was leading a very traumatic life, and um, it was just going haywire. I came to the end of my tether, and I was ready to jump off the world. People had told me about God, and, you know, as a little kid I learned about Jesus. But as far as worshipping, you know, they were kind of, they were there. You with me? Until I got to the end of my tether, and he showed me very clearly that he cared for me, that he loved me in the state I was in, that he loved me. And when I read Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for Helen's transgression, Mm. you know, that just hit home so much. So why do I love him? I love him because he is the creator God. He is the king of kings. He is all in all. He is my all in all. He is is, uh, God, his father, Abba you know, cares for me, protects me, and he gives us so many promises that we can stand on in his word. You know, one, particularly even last night, it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, you know, cast all your care on him for he cares for you. That's personal. We serve a living, personal God who is worthy of our praise. Well, that's a very good answer. Mm. I love your answer. Legend. Life, living Without knowing God, it's totally different than after you know God and you love Him and serve Him. Life living without God, it's a roller coaster that goes being feeling very insecure, uh, feeling traumatic. Uh, it's very stressful. You don't have answers to questions. You don't know how to solve the problems. But life living with God together, you have the assurance and peace, peace in your heart, peace of mind, and you feel secure, you feel comforted, you feel um, it's a different life. Mm. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a totally different life. You are filled with love inside. It's a heavenly love. So without God, people are... Um, turning to drugs and alcohol uh, and medication and uh, uh, suicide and so on. But life with with God gives the security that God is the answer of everything. God is love. I love your answer. Helen? Can I just jump in there and just, you know, what we're just saying, agree totally to say that life with with Christ is endless hope, but Mm. without him it's a hopeless end. Yes, anybody else want to share? There's another aspect of it, Len, that I think is important when one thinks of worship. Some of the uh, best memories I have was back in my Pathfinder days when we used to go up to Borough Creek Gorge and we used to camp. After tea, when the sun had set and the sky was dark, we would sometimes go up with a ground sheet and lay it on top of the bank and we would sit and look at the stars. Uh, That particular area of South Australia is... um, like a lot of semi-outback and outback areas is particularly good because there's no light in the way or anything like that and you can see the stars so clearly. It helps you to recognise, in one sense, your insignificance 
as you look at what's up there around you. But what's good about worship is, in the first sense, it recognises your insignificance because of everything that God has made. But in the second sense, which is equally and probably even more important, you recognise that Christ would have come to die for one person, you. And when you see these orbits and these stars and these planets in place and realise that the God of heaven came down through all of that, down through Orion, down through these other places, down to this earth and became a human being, it blows you away. You you have to. You can't do anything other than fall on your knees and say, thank you, Lord, mm-hmm. for what you've done for me. Well, personally, I find peace. I find hope. I find reassurance and comfort in knowing the Lord. And because of that, and realising what he has done for me and realising his greatness, as Brenton has just pointed, pointed out, that's a good reason for me to worship. Lydia, what did you want to say here? So, worship is a response of our faith in God for his mighty works, first, for creating us, and second, for redeeming us. In worship, we give to God the adoration, reverence, praise, love, and obedience we believe he is worthy to receive. Of course, what we know about God as our Creator and Savior comes from what he revealed to us in Scripture. Furthermore, what Christians know about God was revealed more fully in the person and ministry of Jesus. This is why Christians worship Jesus as Savior and Redeemer, as his sacrificial death and resurrection are at the very core of worship. When Christians come together in worship, it is out of this sense of awe and thankfulness that our worship should proceed. Thank you, Legit. Brenton. The Bible teaches us that somebody else is very hungry for worship. Would you mind reading Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 and 9? And then you can answer the question about who else is hungry for worship. Reading Matthew 4, verses 8 and 9, it says the following. Again, the devil took him, that's Jesus, up onto an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. So who's the individual who's hungry for worship? One that was known in heaven initially as Lucifer, the light bearer, now known as the devil or Satan, the adversary. Okay, so why is he hungry for worship? If I was to have the time lend to go to Isaiah 14 and have a look at that, um, I will quote it rather than read it, but Isaiah 14 says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. This suggests that this being had a throne when he was in heaven. And it says, I will be like the Most High. Um, Satan, as we now know him, a diabolical plan has always been to receive worship for himself that should alone be given to the Lord. Now, this is interesting. He's taking Jesus up onto a high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms of the world and arrogantly assuming that he, in fact, owns all this and he can give it to whoever he wishes. 
What he tended to forget was this. He forgot that it was still the Lord's. The Lord had created it. It was only his by default. And he had no uh, legal right to say that um, I will give you these things if you will fall down and worship me. He was still on the same theme as he was when he was in heaven. He wanted to be like God. Not like God in character, but like God in power. And just to add to that, uh, Brenton, uh, the desire of Satan to be worshipped, even in heaven, was dealt with in heaven. And yes. his place was not found there anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, on this earth, even though you said that, that it's not his, put it this way, because God created the heavens and the heavens and earth, but because of us and because of our allegiance to him, to Satan, yes. by sinning and disobeying God, he then claimed to have that right to be worshipped, even though it's so false. That's why it's a deception. Yes. Is not uh, Satan comes with deceitfulness uh, to to try to get us away from the true God and fr- from the only one who should be worshipped. And whatever he said, even uh, into that great temptation to Jesus to bow before me and worship, and I will give the, all of this to you. You know, he's coming with temptation. Hmm. Well, I don't think it was much of a deal. I mean, no. here he's talking to the creator of the universe. And saying, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. It's like saying, well, you own you own all of Australia and I'm going to give you a backyard. <laughs> uh, it's not a very good comparison, but we'll move on mm. anyhow. One can't help but wondering, Len, before we finish on it, whether he would have really followed through had Christ said that, whether he really would have. Well... He's a liar, and he was a liar from the beginning. I think we can draw our own conclusion. All right, well, to worship Satan is false worship because the only only acceptable worship is when we worship the Lord. What is false worship, Helen? Well, I think you've just covered it, Len. In in a nutshell, it's worshipping anything or anyone other than God. Okay. Uh, Ledger, is false worship acceptable as far as God is concerned? What does it say in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 and 4? So in Exodus chapter 20, we can find the Ten Commandments. Now, I'm going to read uh, the commandment number one and number two, which which says, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So uh, we observe in these two commandments that God tells us, God guides us, and he's asking us that we shall not have another God before him because he is the one who has to be worshipped because he is the creator. Now we observe here... uh, a false worship, two types of worship, the true worship and the false worship. 
So maybe later on we should cover about this, but we have to uh, make a distinguish between uh, true worship and false worship. So true worship, of course, is the worshiping of God. Mm. False worship is worshiping of anything that's not God. For example, idols. For example, yourself, because the New Age movement promotes this idea that God is within you, that you are a God. It also rules out animism, where people worship nature, might worship trees and things like that. Now, we have an example, Brenton. I'm sorry, before we get on to that, Helen, I didn't acknowledge you, my fault. That's okay. I was just going to add to what you were saying. Um, People today worship power. They worship athletes. You know, they worship movie stars. Anything and everything, they literally, you know, make it into an idol. And um, that's what God says, no, no. Len, can I just make a quick comment before we move on? Go ahead. Um, Just, shall we say, uh, continuing on from what Helen said, when you're worshipping other people or other things or whatever, the whole uh, the whole object of worship is to raise your thoughts and your um, nature to a higher level. Worshipping something that's on the same level as you is not going to do that. It will actually degrade you rather than elevate you. Mm. We would call that, I've heard this expression, worshipping the creature rather than in the place creator. of the creator. Yes, Ligia? I would like to mention that in true worship... We find several important features like, number one, it is directed to God and Him alone. Second, it is never forced. So it's a spontaneous response to the character of God and His redemptive actions on our behalf. And it begins from the heart, from our heart, and not from the expectations of others. And third, worship, it's not simply a Sabbath morning activity or a part of a worship service. It is a lifestyle. Uh, We are to live and breathe our responses to what God has done for us. Um, And true worship has the potential to unite us in ways not possible otherwise. So when we focus our lives on worshiping the creator of, of our faith, we are less likely to see the things that divide us, whether alone or in a worship service. We worship uh, with others around the world, giving honor and glory and praise to the only one God. Thank you, Richard. Down through the ages, there's been a lot of pressure put on people who want to worship God, but others don't want that. And so some of these people have been persecuted, martyred, mm-hmm. lots of pressure put on them. In the Bible, in the book of Daniel, Brenton, is a case of what we call the three worthies, the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who that was their Babylonian Babylonian name. Um, What was it? Azariah, Mishael, Mishael, and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, in that order. (laughs) Yes. Okay. There's a story in there recorded about what happened with these young men. Would you like to read Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 and 18, and perhaps just embellish a little bit? Sure. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us 
from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Just a brief explanation on this. Historians believe that possibly there had been a mutiny in the army at some point in time and Nebuchadnezzar felt it necessary uh, to bring all the officials together in order to get an unqualified pledge of allegiance from them towards himself. However, I think also Len, lurking in the back of his mind was the image of Daniel chapter 2 where he was described as the head of gold but then subsequently there were other metals such as silver and bronze and iron, etc., etc. I think his intention here, and it's interesting, when you read the very first couple of verses of Daniel 3, it says they were called together to the dedication of the image. The dedication of something, the dedication of anything, whether it be a building or whatever, is usually to set it apart for a certain use. In Christian terminology, dedication means to set apart for a holy use. So here is a king demanding the allegiance of his subjects by not only attending the dedication, but by forcing them on pain of death to kneel and worship this particular image which he had set up. Here is an absolute classic example of a tyrant forcing other people to worship him and an object that he has set up on pain of death if they don't do it. But what I like about this, Len, is that these three boys basically said to him in very simple everyday language that we would use in Australia, we don't need to go into a huddle to talk about this. We have already made up our minds. Mm. Our minds are made up. We are committed to the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created us, because they use the term, we will not serve your gods. Now, um, Nebuchadnezzar's chief god was Marduk, we will not worship Marduk, nor will we worship the image which you have set up. In other words, we want nothing to do with your religion. We will worship only the true God. I believe in 2018 we need that kind of courage, Len, in, uh, as Christians, as we walk and work amongst a secular society. And I'd like to turn it around a little bit from a different point of view. When you are facing those challenges, you know, to worship a, a strange God and to when when you are not walking towards that, you know, sometimes it's probably a little bit easier to take decisions and to stand firm. But when you worship something which you like, when and I will bring this one in, in this way in Christendom today, I find out myself after I start to practice and to go to church regularly, that we have the tendency, and I, when I say we, I visited many churches, you know, we have the tendency to praise ourselves, and in, to a certain degree, even to worship ourselves, in what we're doing, in what we're saying, in what we express, and probably not even realizing how much we turn away the true worship which only God deserves mm -hmm. into our social gathering and we are doing things to please ourselves. That's why in, when Lydia read those texts there from the first and second commandment, God mentioned something very interesting. Yourself. We need to be aware and to take a very uh, sobering 
attitude to know where we are in terms of worship. Okay, thank you, Nick. Helen, what is a main way we can express our worship now? Let's remember and something I think Nick said a while ago. It's not just worshipping on perhaps when we go to church, but even our whole lifestyle is an act of worship. What's the main way we can express our worship? Well, I actually think that those three worthies kind of gave us that example in that they obeyed God rather than man. And um, we're told that we are told, if you love me, keep my commandments. Does not Jesus say that? If you love me, keep my commandments. But also in 1 John 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. And I find that an extremely interesting text because some people say, oh, no, it's too hard, we can't keep it. But for the love that God had for us, he gave us those commandments that sets us free, literally, when you look at them. And I believe that it's the obedience to God is how we worship him. We give him our total obedience. So this this brings a different attitude that in keeping God's commandments, we do that to please him, which is an act of worship, not just an act of conformity. Well, I have some friends in other churches, and they appear to be quite sincere Christians, and they probably are. But, you know, it really bothers me that these people do... uh, They disobey the commandments of God on a regular basis because God says you should worship on the seventh day of the week and they've substituted another day. How do you feel about this panel? It it really bothers me that they can say, oh no, we'll compromise on this issue. That's okay. God will accept it. Any comments? I'm with you, Len. It bothers me too. But then I think back... Um, some people do not keep his commandments because they don't really fully understand them, number one. But if they do understand them, it is a choice. We have a choice. And they can say, yes, I'm going to honour God, I'm going to obey him, or no, I choose not to. And they'll come up with all sorts of reasons. I do remember a minister I spoke to of, an, of a particular domin- denomination who was convicted on the Sabbath, you know, being the seventh day of the week. But yet he was key. he was a Sunday keeper, and he also taught his congregation, you know, to keep Sunday. And I remember saying to him once, I said, "Why, if you are so convicted about the Sabbath, why do you not keep it, and why do you not teach your people to do that, to obey God?" And he said, "If I do that, I will lose my job." So for him, it actually came down to, to his the job. yeah his job, which you know I thought, boy, that's a pretty big price to pay, really. To, to turn your back on God's commandments. I believe that if I'm serving the Lord with all my heart and all my mind and I surrender everything to God, God through the Holy Spirit is going to lead me and bring me more light into my mind and into my heart and I will understand all the Ten Commandments and I, I will understand everything what God requires me to be his devoted child the way he wants me to be so he will make me understand that the sabbath is the one in the fourth commandment to be kept and 
uh, holy uh, as God uh, did at his creation. So this is what I believe. The Holy Spirit brings more light into my mind and heart mm. to understand and love God the way he wants me to do. You've put into words something I've thought of. You see the commandments as a privilege and not a burden. And I was just uh, going to come to pretty much a simil similar uh, thing, Len. Um, you know, we're talking about, and particularly we mention Sabbath here, because we are Sabbath keepers ourselves here, yes. and uh, we raised up that uh, that concern. But there are many other things, you know, in Christendom where uh, people have different opinions and different uh, approach to things. But I would like to just point out two things. We are talking about true worship and false worship. And even though Satan didn't have the rights to claim that he needs to be worshipped, he did in front of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there will be people today, and we're talking here about the day of worship, you know, but there will be people who will say, you know what, we need to be worshipped because we put up um, and require the worship on a different day. And then, as uh, Peter and I think it was Peter and John said, now you tell us who should we listen to, to man or to God. Now we have in the Bible the requirements of God and God is plainly telling us what to do. Are we going to be trapped and deceived by man? All right, okay. Now... We've been talking about worship in the past, but the book of Revelation is talking about mod modern times and future times. Uh, there's a message there for the people of the world. Lydia, would you read Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7? Then I saw another angel flying in mid-air, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Okay, so who's to be worshipped? God the creator now, of a, the universe. All right, thank you. There's a, a question that I think needs to be asked. Why is this message relevant for the end times? Because worldwide there is a widespread belief of the non-existence of God. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Brenton, in Revelation, Revelation chapter 14, verses 9 and 10... There's a warning about false worship. Would you read that and then perhaps just make a brief comment? It says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. So who's the beast? Who's the image? The beast is the power through whom Satan works in the world today. If I was to go back to uh, what we said earlier on, that we acknowledge God primarily uh, and he is worthy of our worship primarily because of his creatorship 
it would be fair to say that any Christian organisation, if I can use that term, that does not recognise God's creatorship, we therefore are worshipping something other than what God has asked us to worship. And unfortunately today in the Christian community, many of our listeners would be aware that many Christian churches today do not believe in the creation story as recorded in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. They believe that uh, in either theistic evolution or vast periods of time, unless we accept it as God has written it, therefore worshipping the beast will be whatever in the future a religious political um, conglomeration puts together and and forces on the people of this world they will be inclined to worship that God is saying I want you to worship me as the creator Uh, the uh, beast and his image are really an image is something that is similar to so it's a case of uh, what are we going to worship we're going to worship the true God and my appeal is to all of our listeners that we worship the God of heaven as the creator the sign of his creatorship is the Sabbath Well, I agree, Brenton, and just following from that, it is interesting to note that at the end of time, worship is identified as a key issue in the great controversy for the allegiance of the human race. And that's a worldwide announcement, is a call to worship the Creator, as you've stated. You know, the central issue in the final crisis will be worship. Revelation makes clear that the test will not be a denial of worship, but rather who is worshipped. At the time of the end, only two groups of people will be in the world, those who fear and worship the true God and those who hate the truth and are worshippers of the dragon and the beast. Which one will you be in? And coming back to the the topic for today, unity in worship. When you look uh, just simply at this uh, topic, you may think of ecumenism. You know, you may think of that everyone should uh, unite together to to worship. And is that not the agenda for the Christendom today to come all together to worship? But in which way? That's the question. Because ecumenism, if you think, uh, you know, it's maybe not a bad thing in a way of uh, coming together because the angel, the first angel, and also the following ones, they all said that this gospel, this message needs to be uh, spread all over the world. You know, the worship concerns everyone and we are here now to understand that we need to make our mind as those three young men in Babylon and many others through the history. We need to stand for what God is asking us to do, but not by what men, even though the majority of men or Christian will come together and say, we'll we need to go this way. We should stand for what the Bible says. Yes. Len, it's also in the individual. What I read in Revelation 14.9 is if anyone, anyone is individual, it takes it beyond a corporate or even a church organisation. It takes it down to the individual person. Are you going to worship God as the creator who created everything, including yourself, or are you going to worship something else? Mm. It becomes very much an individual issue. I'd just like to make a comment about what you were saying, Nick. The movement in Christendom these days is to forsake your doctrines for a common cause. Yes. Unity. However, it seems to me this is totally wrong. What should happen 
people ought to see what the doctrine is first, see what the Bible teaches, and unite on that. Otherwise, the unification is error. Mm. All right, well, we better move on because... Um, it also won't last, Len. The unification won't last if it's can't. based on anything other than the truth. No. Now, Lydia, when the uh, early Christian church was formed, in Acts 2.42, it tells of the activities of that church. Would you like to read Acts 2.42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now here we have an example of the, the early church people. So other translation says, as they continued steadfastly into the study of God's word. So we have here an example. The first Christians were faithful in studying the scriptures of what they said about Jesus the Messiah. They were in constant fellowship to share with one another the blessings God given to them and to encourage each other in their spiritual work. So uh, I observe that in the world they mind the sacred truths that become the foundation of their message to the world. Ah. So there were four aspects there, and the one that I would like to highlight on here, and Helen, I'll ask you this, what do you think was the basis of the apostles' teaching? Well, I believe it was God's word, the scriptures, but others studied the scriptures too, but they were looking for the wrong thing. As as we're told in um, Luke 24, verse 27, Jesus spoke to the disciples on the way to Emmaus, the, the, those that were, had just witnessed what had happened. And he said, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, it says, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the scriptures, Jesus said, is about him. And also, if we look over in John five thirty nine, it says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. I believe that's what the apostles were doing. They were testifying of Christ through the word. Hmm. Brenton, when worship is based on the understanding and following of the scriptures, what is the likely result? I won't read Acts 17, 11 and 12, but I'll just summarize it. Basically, what it says is that uh, Paul presented uh, the message of the good news of the gospel to the Bereans. They searched the scriptures, and as a result of that, it says many believed. Now, the question is, what did they believe? They believed that through the Old Testament scriptures that they'd been studying and the Psalms and the prophets, what they believed is that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that he died on the cross for their sins, that he rose again and ascended to heaven, and they now wished to become his disciples. It's no different in 2018. When a person believes in Jesus as their personal saviour, they become a disciple of Jesus, and they therefore want to share that discipleship. They want others to become his disciples as well. So, panel, what do you think about it when worship is not based on the scriptures? Deception can come in very quickly, mm. lead you astray. We need to have sold a scripture, stand on the Bible. Yes. In my studies over the years, one thing that's been brought home to me, the best information to provide is the original source where possible. Where somebody departs from the original source, 
you can get anything. And this has happened in Christendom. There are doctrines being taught which are not scripturally based. They, mm. They're just man-made ideas. Yes. And that, of course, breeds disunity in Christianity. The other aspect, Len, I believe in regard to this question, what do you think when worship is not based on Scripture? Worship becomes very much an individualistic matter. Instead of there being corporate worship and the unity that we've been studying about in our Bible studies all along, it suddenly becomes very individualistic because people, rather than worshipping the true God, are worshipping whatever their imagination conjures up. Therefore, you could be sitting in a church with a whole heap of people and instead of worshipping the one creator God, they could all be worshipping something that they've come up with. And also we hear these words, uh, tradition and uh, the Bible. You know, the thing to me is a bit like this. Tradition can be, you know, passed from generation to generation can have good things in itself, you know, but can be lost and can be uh, misunderstood or interpreted. And you need to go back to the Bible, which is the same, to line up that mm. tradition, that good tradition, which you have at some point, but it was uh, turned around. That's what I'm saying with the people in Berea. When they listen to Paul, and Paul was a man who, who can uh, say things, and, and uh, he was very influential, you know, but they were not taking just his words. They went to they the Bible for to see if the Bible is in accordance with what yes. he's saying. And I think that's the fair thing to do for us as Christians. Mm. We need to uplift the Word of God. That's the yes. only uh, thing to check, if you like, if we are still on the right track. Ledger, you read Acts 2.42 before. Yes. And it listed four things there. Would you like to just say what those things were? This is with regard to the early Christian church. I will read it again. And uh, it it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking the bread, and to prayer. So the first one is they devoted themselves to the doctrine. It means they... Um, they just gather together and they study from the Word of God. They share, they encourage one another. They had fellowship with one another, breaking bread. It means breaking bread. Maybe they uh, shared meals together, uh, but it's, I think it was a fellowship meal um, rather than regular meals. I mean, they made the regular meals like a, a fellowship together. And they devoted their time to remembering the meaning of Jesus' life and ministry. And they love to talk about it. And also to the prayer, which is the most important thing. Okay. Well, Brenton, maybe you will follow on from this thing that Ledger was just talking about. What part does prayer have in creating unity in worship? It's vitally important in Acts one fourteen. It says that they were all they all met together with prayer and supplication. They wanted to be in harmony with one another. But another example is Acts twelve twelve, where it says, "So when they had considered this, they came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. What were they praying about? They were praying for the release of Peter, who was in jail at that particular point in time." But prayer has both a corporate aspect and also an individual aspect. These people were so united that they were together in prayer, 
pleading with God to release Peter. And, of course, the rest of the chapter reveals that's exactly what happened. So the question is, why pray? Why prayer? I mean, you've got the scriptures, you study the scriptures, and you do all the rest of it. Why prayer? Can I answer my own question? You may. (laughs) I think prayer is also asking for the guidance of God. Sometimes we read stuff in the scriptures that are not that clear. But by asking God to reveal himself to us, we are inviting him to fill us and teach us. And if I can continue on that, Len, it's not only just to to find out, you know, what God says, but also to receive strength, you know, yeah. to stand for what you believe in, because the pressure is on. Even uh, today, we live in uh, under the, so much pressure, you know, from all sorts of doctrines. And I would like to just mention something Lee just said about that pray and uh, supplication and uh, in the doctrines of the apostles. You know, when you mention the word doctrine, it's already starting to say, oh, you see, doctrines, you know, we are not to follow doctrines of men. But what I want to just point out here is that when the Bible says in the doctrine of the apostles, is the doctrines which Jesus Christ himself laid down. And Jesus taught them and teach them and said, now go and teach and preach all over the world the things which I have taught you and commanded you to do. It's interesting to, uh, when you mention the word doctrine, doctrine of the Bible, nothing wrong with that. But when it's doctrine of man, we may have some problems. I very much do. Well, we're reaching the end, and I'm going to ask the panel soon, in the last few minutes, to share, perhaps in a nutshell, a short message. But I'd like to say this first. You know, unity in worship depends on a whole range of things, but amongst the most important are acceptance and obedience to the teachings of God's Word. We also need an attitude of acceptance, a willingness to share, plus communication with our Heavenly Father and each other. Given these, despite cultural and other differences, our corporate worship will be uplifting, satisfying, and happy. All right, panel. Does anybody have a take-home message today, just in very short form? Can I comment very briefly, Len, on uh, prayer, the last aspect that we just looked at? The more, the longer I live, the more I believe that prayer is to bring us into harmony with what God wants, rather than just sharing with him what we want. God already knows what we need. What we need to do is find out what he wants. Yes. Anybody else? Yes, I'd just like to make a comment, if I may. Um, true worship is a lifestyle. It's not a once-a-week um, worship. It's a lifestyle. We're to live and to breathe our responses to what God has done for us. True worship has a potential to unite us in ways that are not possible otherwise. And... You know, through studying the scriptures and praying, we can have that daily experience with Christ that we need individually and as a church. It really is a very powerful, powerful way that will change the communities that we are in and change the world. And as we experience that relationship with Christ, we can experience unity and relationships in our churches. Thank you. Anybody else? Lydia? To me, to worship God is 
to worship him with both heart and mind. For example, there are two types of uh, worshiping to me. It's one with bodily action and one uh, worshiping in truth, in mind and heart. If I'm going to meet the queen, uh, uh, Elizabeth, or another king, I'm going to going to do the bodily action, you know. But to worship the Lord in mind, I mean, uh, to, to worship the Lord is to worship with my heart. So I'm going to show reverence and um, honor and respect and um, also to serve. Serving the Lord with your heart, from the bottom of your heart, this is the right worship. Not because the you true have worship. to. Not, Not because you have no. to, but because you want to. Because yeah. I want to, because yeah. I love him, and I'm doing freely without yeah. any uh, obligation. Okay, Nick, are you poised to Be- say something? Before, before I'm just uh, um, expressing my thoughts in this regard, I just want to say something what Lee just said, because I think that was very interesting. Uh, talking about uh, influential people in this world, and she mentioned about the queen or, you know, you come before an influential person, and you still have the tendency of showing respect, act of, you know, recognition to that authority. How much more, how much more to the prince of the universe, to God, you know, and sometimes we're going to church or, you know, we're worshiping God, in, in a so, um, how to say, careless manner, you know? Casual. Casual. Thanks, Brenton. Very casual. Now, what Lydia said, I believe that we are not to worship the queen or the king, not at all, because no man on earth deserves any sort of worship, but it's, a, it's an attitude. And because of that, we need to learn how we should approach God in our Worship. Now, what I want to say myself, uh, Len, is that uh, as we are talking about unity in worship, and we learn about that the disciples, they were in one accord with uh, what they were doing, in praying, in worshiping, in sharing together. One accord, it's a very important thing, because you come to the realization and the understanding of what you need to do together to advance together for the cause which God put in front of us. And that's the one accord. But when somebody, and we were talking a bit early about unity under the ecumenism influence, now those people say, you know what, you do what you want to do in your own thing, you know, but together we need to recognize one thing. That's not one accord. That's a suggestion, you know, in what you should do and what uh, you should how should you come together i'll, I'll just say this to to finish off uh, myself here let's be honest with ourselves and check ourselves with what god wants and that what brenton said we need to do individually if we do it individually it will come together as one even in our uh, gatherings and it comes in my mind uh, also the fact that when we say worship, we relate the worship with the, like with a uh, religious service. But it's it's not that worship. It's a lifestyle. You know, you, we worship the Lord in whatever we do. 
uh, not only uh, singing and praying and uh, studying the Bible, but worshiping, it's my lifestyle. Every minute of my life is a worship to the Lord. Okay, well, our enemy, the clock, is against us, and we've probably taken a bit longer than we should have, but thank you, panel, for your input today. And listeners, thank you for listening. Before we close, I'd just like to pray. Father in heaven, you've given us clear guidelines about how we should live, who we should worship, and what we should do about it. We pray that each person who's listening to this program today might make a resolution to honour and serve you no matter what, just like the three worthies we've read about today in the book of Daniel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.